0: In the Old Covenant, things were a certain way. But you hear Jesus very often say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You get this separation. He's saying, you've heard it said that um, um, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, I say to you, love your enemy and be kind to those who persecute you. There's There's a clean difference between those two when Jesus is talking. So, Jesus, obviously, when he's teaching, he's actually ushering in the kingdom. He's preaching about the kingdom. And so, very often, you'll hear him use the terminology where he says, um, the kingdom of God or the, he- or the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. And, and he uses this kind of analogy. And he always used kingdoms and people in kingdom kind of authority to try and explain how things would work and how things would roll out. So, I just want you to go with this parable. I'm going to try and just explain best I can how this parable kind of speaks mainly to my heart. But but I know that it should be the same for you as well. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle an account with his servants. So, this is he's starting the story saying, Okay, I'm going to compare the kingdom of heaven to one story. So, this is a parable that might give you some insight As to how the kingdom of heaven is. And he says, it might be compared to a man who settled his accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. (coughs) Now, you see, when we think of this story, very often we think 10,000 talents, or maybe that's like a thousand bucks or a million bucks. Okay, it's a big debt, but it's not a major debt. Okay, this guy's debt, according to according to history, was the equivalent of a provincial debt. It was the kind of debt that a country would incur. Not the kind of debt that one person would incur. And this was how much this guy owed the master. Okay? And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that they had and payment to be made. So this was the guy's resolve. You can't pay me? Okay, I'm going to sell you and your family, all of you, to slavery. And I'm going to get my money back. Okay? Now, I want you to put yourself in that man's shoes at that point in time. You owe your master an exorbitant amount, an amount that you could never, ever pay back in any way, shape, form, or fashion. No matter how hard you worked, you'd never be able to pay that debt. But you're about to be sold into slavery for the rest of your life. That's not the kind of life you want to be living. So the servant fell on his knees. And I think this would be all of our kind of reaction to the situation. Well, I've got nothing to lose. I'm about to get completely enslaved here. And, And he falls to his knees and he implores him. And he says, have patience with me. This is his best plea. And I will pay you everything. He says, please give me a chance. Please don't do this to me. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, what? (laughs) This guy owed this huge debt, insurmountable debt. And it was forgiven him like this. He pleaded with the master. Now, obviously, in, in the other account of this story, it's, there's a king. Uh, he, the master is the king. So if you can just do this little bit of translation for yourself. He's talking about the king or, or the master, whichever one kind of helps you understand the story better. So now the same servant gets forgiven. Now, you can imagine this, what would your mind be like if this huge debt had been forgiven you. This huge debt that had been forgiven you, you would be like, Whew, I'm free from this debt. I don't have to pay it anymore. I don't have to do anything like that anymore. So you leave the palace or you leave your master's house and you walk outside and you could only imagine the roses look brighter. The, the, the sky looks bluer. People look happier. Just life is good. You don't have this huge weight over your neck. You've been forgiven of all your debts. That's an amazing feeling. Then this is what happens next. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now that's the equivalent of someone owing you a hundred bucks. And this is what happens. He seizes him by the throat and he begins to choke him. Not a, hello, how are you doing? No, no. He says, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. Wow. So much for the roses being redder and the sky being bluer. Well, this just doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, a person like this, there's something wrong with them. And I think to us, being born-again believers, this doesn't seem right at all. This seems terrible. How could you, after you had been forgiven so much debt after all this debt had been written off for you, how could you act this way? What would you think of a person who acted this way? I think you would think, man, don't you have any any thankfulness for what's just happened to you? Don't you have any sense of, of wow, you know, I've been forgiven so much. So this is what happens. His fellow servant falls down and pleads with him. So the guy, he's got... Now at the throat, falls down the ground and starts to plead with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? And I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. No mercy, put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servants. I forgave you all the debts because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So this is the story. Do you, do you see the story? This guy gets forgiven much. He leaves, he refuses to forgive someone else's debts. And because of that, the consequences are that he gets chucked into jail. And then Jesus says this. So also... (laughs) So Jesus is about to compare this to something. He's just told you the story and he's about to compare it to something. He says, So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what's Jesus talking about? Because many people have said, I forgive you. Even many people have just forgotten. That something bad happened. Just ignored it. But forgiving someone from your heart. What's that? That's right. It's part of it. To forgive someone from your heart. Means to treat that person as if nothing had ever happened. You see because anything less than that. Means that you've got double standards. You expect God to treat you like nothing ever happened. Every time you messed up. But when it comes to how we treat others that hurt us. Oh no, we got a different standard for that one. Stay away from that guy. Let's walk circles around this one. No, we've forgiven them. But, you know. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, forgive them from your heart. Seven times 70 a day. Wow. <laughs> now, if this is the denarii that we are to do, then how much more the talents that God has done for us? You see, we always play it on the, on the off side. We always play it on the, on the one side of, of trying to focus on this Bad deed that this guy did. And this is a warning. It's a true warning. It's true. It's real. It's there. But if you play it backwards, you realize that if, if really all the servant had to do was forgive someone a hundred denarii. Okay? Then the equivalent of what God does is forgiving us talents that we owe. So what is forgiveness? That's right. Forgiveness is acting as if it never happened. Jesus demonstrates forgiveness towards us when those of us who have been children of disobedience still are accepted as sons in the kingdom. Those of us who, who were in the world who hated God, are able to come to Him and get treated in light of who we really were meant to be. In Genesis 1, we were created to be in God's image and likeness. We were created to be love. And so God has always, His heart has been to restore us to love, so that we could manifest love, so that we could be love. And love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, watch this. Do you know that there's been a study done by um, some scientists? And it's actually shown that practicing forgiveness can reduce anger, depression, stress. And it leads to a greater feeling of hope and peace compassion, and self-confidence. Practicing forgiveness leads to healthy relationships as well as physical health. It also influences our attitude, which opens the heart to kindness, beauty, and love. This is a secular investigation. This is not even biblical, but it supports The biblical understanding that this is exactly why we must forgive. You see, because when we do something that is contrary to who we really are, we hurt who we are. Think of it. Everything that goes against love hurts us. Everything that acts opposite to love hurts us. It hurts us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And if you look at the law, the law actually tries to stop us from doing the things that will hurt us. The law is not evil. It's just living under the law will stir up more sin because if you're, if you're not born again, you don't have a spirit that can live up to that standard. You don't have a spirit that can empower you to live according to those principles. So the minute you face that principle, you look wrong. It looks wrong. I mean, even in Ephesians 4 verse 31, we are admonished by Paul. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, he says, as Christ has forgiven you, forgive. Think of Stephen when he's being stoned. He looks up to heaven and he sees God the Father and Jesus at his right hand. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If we don't understand forgiveness, we do not understand the character and nature of God. Because it is God's very nature to show us mercy. And for those of us who believe that we live under the law of liberty, it is even more important that we understand this, that this is actually a biblical principle. Just go with me please to James. My son likes to preach with me. One day he'll travel with me and preach with me. I'll tell you now. James chapter 2. I'll read from verse 8. James chapter 2 verse 8. James says this brilliantly. Because he explains the whole tension between the law, the new law of liberty and how this whole thing works. If you really fulfill the royal law. According to scripture. So this is the royal law. Okay. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says you're doing well. Well done. Good. If you are fulfilling that law. If you're loving your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But. If you show partiality. What is partiality? Yeah. If you treat or esteem one person higher than another, one group more than another, if you esteem anyone more, because remember, in Christ, we are all one new man, one new mankind. So, yeah, he's saying, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Because doesn't that violate loving your neighbor as yourself? Doesn't it? Because if your neighbor is of some kind of background that you don't agree with and you don't love them as you love yourself, then you're showing partiality. So that's what he's pointing out here. And he says here, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So now James is reverting back to the old way, he's saying, "If you if you break one of the laws, you are accountable for all of it." So he's saying, and then he and he reiterates and he and he emphasizes by saying, "For he who said Do not commit adultery,' so we know which law we're talking about here, right? We know which law we're talking about here. He's using the Ten Commandments, okay." It says, for the, for, for the same one who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, it doesn't make a difference which one you do. Whether you show partiality, whether you lie, whether you steal, whether you slander, whether you murder, whether you commit adultery, you are all those sins are equal before God. We might have different standards for them, and we might punish them differently, but for God... The rebellion is the same. Okay? But then he says this very interesting thing in verse 12. He says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You see, he's talking here about another law. He's saying, act and speak as those who are judged by the law of liberty. And then he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Is this not true for the guy who was forgiven and walked out and didn't forgive his friend and came back in again and then he was chucked into jail? Is that not true? He showed no mercy. And his judgment was sealed. But he says this last statement here. And this is the statement of the cross. This is the statement of what the cross accomplished. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you see that? God's mercy triumphed over his judgment. His judgment against man was that we all deserved condemnation. If God had not sent Jesus, he would have been completely righteous and just. In sending us to condemnation. Because we were condemned. We were condemned already. But God had mercy on us. And did one thing for us that we never deserved. And he gave us everything. He gave us his son. He gave us everything. I mean Paul even says. If God gave us Jesus. Then how much more would he not give us all things. Because he's saying he gave you the greatest thing he had. Why would he leave the lesser? Why would he not give you the rest? That's what's so amazing about the gospel. So we can see here that forgiveness is a primary key to understanding something very important. Jesus said, whoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. Whoever sins you do not forgive, they will not be forgiven. You believe me, it's in John. <clears throat> he says, Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Whoever sins you forgive, they will be forgiven. Whoever sins you do not forgive, they will also not be forgiven. What is he talking about? He's saying, Remember to walk in forgiveness. Remember to walk in forgiveness. Very often, when Jesus spoke to the man who was um, on on the stretcher, if you remember the, the 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 story of where they lower him down through the roof, Jesus will say, "My my son, your your sins are forgiven." Right? And the Pharisees will be up and on. Who's this man who, who can who can just forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And then he turns to them and he says, "So that you will know that I have the authority to forgive." Or so he says, "So the son of so you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins." He says, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy is instantly healed. Why? Because just as um, Pastor Peter quoted this morning about when he, when he spoke about Romans, Romans clearly shows us, um, and Connie said it in, in Romans 5, it says that because of Adam, sin entered the world. And through sin, death, where came to all men, because all men sinned. Sin and death, have been intrinsically connected since day one. Because it's a consequence. Why? Because sin is the exact diabolic opposite to love. And when you live in sin, you are living in the exact opposite thing to which you were created for, and it destroys you. That's why you get decay. That's why you decay. That's why you get sick. That's every single thing is rooted right back to sin. Do you know that it's a sin to worry? Jesus said, do not be anxious about anything in your life. Was it a suggestion? And what happens when you worry? You get anxious. You get stressed out. And guess what? You will get sick. <laughs> because your body can't doesn't take that. But when you live in faith towards God and you trust Him, you have hope. You have peace. You have joy. You have righteousness. You know what these things do for your physical body? They bring you back in line with God's word. And so your body actually begins to benefit from your spiritual relationship. Spiritual things and physical things are directly connected. But people disassociate them. Just like they disassociate their spiritual life. Sunday I come to church and Monday, just Saturday, I do what I want. Someone once told me most Christians want to have a full time pay for a part time job. Isn't that true, Pastor? <laughs> and I say this often I say, you know, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than parking yourself in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't. It's what God does in us through faith in Him. It's His, we are His workmanship. Created for good works, that He has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in Him. In it, it's Him that works through us, through the power that is in us. We need to remember that. And I've got a crush going here. It's all good. <laughs> okay. So do you see? I mean, James actually puts it so beautifully. He says, "Look, if, you, if you're loving your neighbour as yourself, it's great. You're doing well. Okay. But remember, if you show partiality, you're sinning." And, you can, and you're going to come under the law. So rather act as people who know about the fact that they will be judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty is this Jesus has paid for it. And because I know that I've been forgiven, I can walk in forgiveness to others. Because I'm reminded that I too was just as bad as a dirty, rotten sinner. I, I was ignorant of God. I was a son of disobedience and I needed saving. And bless God, the gospel came and saved me. Jesus paid for my sin and I'm being set free. You see, this is, this is a very important part because when Jesus goes into this one Pharisee's house, and if you want to follow, it's in Luke 7, verse 36. He says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, a woman of the city who is a sinner. Hello, Okay. This is quote, unquote, a prostitute. All right. Just so I can clarify that to you. All right. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in a Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, this is quite an elaborate act she's doing here. Think about it. If I was standing on the stage and some woman who you all knew was a prostitute walked in here, kneeled at my feet, started crying, wetting my feet, and wiping your hair in my feet. what would you all think? Yeah, I always like to put these visual pictures in people's minds because we never think about what we're reading. We don't take it and go, okay, so what would that look like? It's so important. If you were there, you would be just as offended as, as this Pharisee. You would be like, Jesus, what's going on here? Like, you know, is something weird happening? Right? So this is what they were saying about him. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered said, and saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Then Jesus said, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them, which of these? Hold on, I'll just find my place. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm in my own notes. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? So which one will love him more? And the guy answered and says, Simon answers. and He says, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the largest debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, back up a bit. Okay? Because this woman was clearly a prostitute. Clearly. clearly. Maybe even did some divination and some sorcery, which was kind of like part of the parcel in those days. So Jesus makes this analogy. He says, if, you've got, if, I owe, if you both owe me money, but you owe me 50 and you owe me 100, and I forgive you both, the one that I forgave 100 is going to love me more. And this is Jesus trying to show that when you realize how sinful you are, when you're forgiven, you understand the magnitude of your debt. Jesus was not saying that Simon had little sin. He was saying that Simon only saw himself as having little sin. You see, self-righteousness is as much a sin as prostitution. James just told us that showing distinction, in other words, showing separation is just as much a sin as adultery or murder. You see, our problem is that we don't actually see how much we've been forgiven. Because if we understood how much God has forgiven us, then we will not have a problem with forgiving others or ourselves. Because God has already reckoned all men, sinners, short. Short of the glory of God and redeemable by the blood of Jesus. Not of any effort of our own do we get any of that. It's completely and totally free. That's why in John, one John, he writes, we forgive because we haven't forgiven much. Because John knows the backlight. He was there. He says, we walk in the light. Why? Because he knows. John, I mean, you know John is the only disciple that Jesus loved, right? (laughs) No. Jesus loved all his disciples. John is the only disciple that said, I am the disciple Jesus loved. He's the only one who took it and owned it. Jesus loved all his disciples. Otherwise, Jesus would have been sinning. John is the only one who said, I am the disciple Jesus loves. But Peter could have said the same thing. They all could have said the same thing. But John understood what it meant to own it. And you know what it did for him? According to Bible history, it saved him from a boiling pot of oil. Martyrdom was accredited to him, but he never died a martyr. Because they tried to kill him and failed on three occasions. Because he understood that he was loved by Jesus. Do you know, we focus so much on how much we love God, but God wants us to see how much he loves us. Because if you knew how much he loved you, if you understood completely how much you are valuable to him, what your value really is, that would change you. See, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He, was, he wasn't saying, try and love me so you can prove that by obeying my commandments that you love me. He was saying, if you love me, obeying my commandments would be easy. I have a son. I love my son. Looking after him is not a problem. Because I love him. <clears throat> I don't look after him to prove that I love him. Does it make sense what I'm saying? And so this is something we need to understand. We need to understand that forgiveness is 100% part of love. And you can't say that you walk in love if you don't walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness, unforgiveness will choke you, just like any other sin will choke you, because sin is not helpful. Do you know the only objective we were sharing this morning, Pastor, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, as far as I understood what you were sharing this morning, and I believe it too, is that the devil has really no gain if anyone sins, okay? Do you understand that? The devil's got no gain if you sin. Okay, so who tempts you? James says, we are enticed by our own desires, but who entices us? Okay, the enemy does entice us. Okay, so what is what is why does he entice us? Why on earth go all the trouble of, of getting you into sin? Why? Because let's face it, sin has got nothing to do with it anymore. The only thing that separates you from God is when you choose to walk away from him. When you and your minds cut the connection. And the way you do that is when the devil uses your sin to condemn you. Do you see that? That's right. Your own condemnation. John even says that if our hearts condemn us, then we don't have confidence. But God is greater than our hearts. Do you see that? You see, condemnation is the only weapon the enemy has to get Christians passive. Because a passive Christian is not a problem. A sinning, aggressive Christian is still a problem. And like I've said before to other groups of people that have been here, that it's just as much a sin not to heal the sick as it is to commit adultery. There are sins of omission and sins of remission. So if you disqualify yourself from doing the good you ought to do because you did the bad you shouldn't have done, you're sinning anyway. You're just carrying on in sin. So don't disqualify yourself. And I I say this not to condemn, I say this to admonish, to show you that even if you've made a mistake, you actually are free to repent and do the right thing. Do you see that? You're actually free to repent from this way of doing things and go, no, no, actually, I'm going to set this person free. I'm going to do what my father, I'm going to speak that prophetic word. I don't care what I just said to Joe on the phone. I'm going to be obedient. Why? Because that's true repentance. Repentance is when we choose to change our minds. When we choose to change back to God. In fact, in Hebrew, it means to return to God. To return to grace, so to speak. Isn't that amazing? God has set this up so that we cannot fail. If we would believe in Him. If we would just trust Him. Our problem is, most of us, we don't trust Him. But if you don't know Him, you can't trust Him. You can't trust someone you don't know. How many people would just take someone off the street and just trust them? Not many people. You see? Because you don't know someone, you don't trust them. How do we get to know God? Well... You know, here's the thing. A lot of people say, yeah, but you can pray and you can get to know God. I say, okay, yeah, you can do that. But here's the problem. The devil can also confuse you if you don't have this. So how do you know it's God speaking to you or not? You see, the Spirit and the Word will never disagree. The Holy Spirit wrote this book from beginning to end. In one, I think it's in 2 Timothy, it says that the Word is good for reproof, for rebuke, for encouragement, in righteousness means it's meant there to guide us into righteousness. So if you have a vision or a dream and you don't know what it means, it could be the enemy trying to deceive you, but the word of God will keep you on the right track. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that every vision and dream is wrong that, doesn't, that isn't 100 percent in the Bible. it just means that God's mission is still the same. God's mission doesn't change. Do you know what his mission is? To redeem all of mankind. To advance the kingdom to the degree where everyone hears the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be heard throughout all the earth and then the end will come. The end will only come when the gospel has reached the whole world. The gospel of the kingdom. Not the gospel of the death, burial and the resurrection. The death, burial and the resurrection is the way we get into the kingdom. But the gospel of the kingdom and the death, burial, and resurrection gospel that's been preached out there is not the same thing. Those are two different things. Jesus never preached his death, burial, and resurrection, did he? Jesus Jesus preached the kingdom. And he taught his disciples to preach what? And in Matthew 28, he says, Go and teach on, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things I taught you. And it was before the cross. So what did he teach them before the cross? What we are reading here. Does it make sense what I'm saying? Okay, so basically you've got to understand that that is what we are actually designed to do. We're actually designed to manifest the kingdom of God wherever we go. It abides in you. It's in you. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, no one will say, there's the kingdom, or there's the kingdom. The kingdom is amongst you. Because why Jesus was the king of that kingdom, and he was standing right there. That's why he becomes Savior and Lord. We submit and surrender to his kingship. And in surrender to his kingship, I mean, he's a good king. You know what happens when you live under a good king? Things go really well. (laughs) Go check the history. You'll see it's true. When you have a bad king, things go really bad. And most people hold the hand of the bad king. The bad king is Lucifer himself. They hold his hand. And he leads them into all kinds of wickedness. So. Always remember. That. We are God's sons. We are. Man's servants. And we are the devil's master. And you cannot serve humanity. If you begrudge them. If Jesus had to walk in unforgiveness towards us, we wouldn't be here. And so we need to have the same mind that was in Christ.